The post-mortem report showed she was strangled. But the cause of death was excessive blood loss due to a rough force caserine section. Blood between the victim's toes indicates that Bobby was standing at one point during the attack. Investigators believe she lost consciousness after being strangled but regained consciousness later. She tried to fight off the attacker to save herself and her baby. Welcome back to our channel. In 2004, a brutal case happened in Missouri, USA, when Lisa Montgomery murdered a pregnant woman and took her fetus by caserine section. This case has shocked the whole U.S. as well as shocked the whole world. The brutality and cruelty of the case made it unbelievable that a human could do such terrifying things. Along with that, this case has also raised many questions about Lisa Montgomery's mental state and whether she really understood the consequences of her actions. Lisa Montgomery's case is one of the most brutal murders in American history and has left a terrifying mark on this country's criminal history. Take a deep breath and walk with us through the door of darkness. Let's discuss this gruesome crime by Lisa Montgomery. The town of Skidmore, Missouri, is where the narrative starts. Skidmore is a really fascinating location to visit. It does not have the population of a small town. Rather, it has a population that is comparable to that of an airplane, which is 250 people. And the primary reason for this is because it is an agricultural hamlet that is tucked away in the middle of Missouri's plains. The history that it carries, though, is what makes it even more intriguing. In the span of barely 30 years, the town of Skidmore experienced a local dictator, a murder, a second murder, and then a disappearance. And keep in mind that all of this is taking place with only 250 people in the town. And now, let's take a look at the second person to be murdered in this town, Bobby Jostanet. And for Bobby Joe, her narrative starts right where this one does, more or less. Her birthday is December 4, 1981, and she was born in Skidmore. There is not much that is known about Bobby's history, but the adults in the community have characterized her as a shy yet joyful child when she was younger. When Bobby was a kid, he went to school with Seth and the two of them quickly became childhood sweethearts. And in 2003, they both were married at a church in the town at one of the local churches. They held out a tremendous deal of optimism for the years to come. They daydreamed about getting rid of their quaint little rental cottage and constricting a more spacious home for themselves, one that would eventually be big enough to accommodate both of them as well as their children. And then, a short while later, a portion of that dream was going to become a reality. In April 2004, Bobby Joe became pregnant. They were both overjoyed and looking forward to the arrival of the kid sometime in January. The year after that, Seb worked at a local manufacturing factory for Kawasaki in Maryville, while Bobby Joe had a few home-time hustles one of which included breeding and selling rat terrier pups. Both men were employed full-time the next year. By December of that year, 
2004, the pregnancy was well underway. At this point in her pregnancy, Bobby Jo was eight months along, and she continued to breed and sell her rat terrier puppies. She would market them online, and a significant part of her company would consist of maintaining a connection with customers through an online chat room referred to as Rat-A-Chatter that was devoted to rat terrier dogs. The other people in the Rat-A-Chatter group were familiar with Bobby Joe due to her kind and compassionate demeanor. They would converse about rat terriers, which was a common interest between the two of them, but they also shared an interest in each other's lives. A modest internet community existed there outside of the realm of dog breeding. And on such forums, at some point around the middle of the year 2004, she let everyone in the forum know that she was expecting a child in the month of January by virtue of the fact that she was pregnant at the time. You. And about the same time, another participant in the discussion was rejoicing over the news that she, too, was expecting a child after a successful pregnancy. Her name was Lisa Montgomery, and she was from Melbourne, Kansas. Sometime in December of 2004, she was expected to give birth to her child. Although the other members of the group believed Lisa, they did so with a healthy dose of skepticism. Lisa continued to take part in dog shows, and other people remarked that she did not appear to be developing a baby bulge, especially as the due date of the pregnancy got near. Bobby Joe, on the other hand, had no basis for harboring any mistrust of Lisa Montgomery. After all, she had met Lisa earlier in that year at dog shows when they were both competing. The two women would frequently discuss the highs and lows of pregnancy, the names they had chosen for their children, and the items they had purchased for their children after they had given birth. In November 2004, a lady whose name was Darlene Fisher sent a message to Jason Dawson through email. Jason was a breeder of rat terriers, and over the course of his work, he became friends with Bobby. He first met her at dog shows, and later, they connected through an online forum. Even though Jason had never met Darlene in person before, it was nothing out of the ordinary for him to get emails from complete strangers most of which inquired about getting pups for adoption. As Darlene intended to surprise her children with a new pet for the holidays, she posed a question to Jason about whether or not he knew anyone in northern Missouri who had pups available for adoption. Not cool at all, just so you know. A dog is a companion for life, not just for the holidays. Jason was aware that Bobby's dog had recently given birth to puppies and that they would be ready to go to their new homes around the middle of December, so he suggested that Bobby speak with Darlene about getting a puppy from him. That afternoon, he provided her with Bobby's contact information. In the end, Darlene was able to communicate with Bobby through the Ratichat forum. In her email to him, she stated, I was recommended to you by Jason Dawson, and I've been unable to reach you either by phone or email. 
I would appreciate it if you could get in touch with me as soon as possible since my family and I are thinking about buying one of your puppies and have a few questions for you. Later on that day, in the evening, Bobby Joe responded to Fisher's email with the following message. Hi Darlene, I've emailed you the directions so we can meet. I really, truly hope that you receive this email. I really enjoyed our conversation on Messenger. And I am really looking forward to having a conversation with you tomorrow. Um, thanks. I'll talk to you shortly. I hope you have a wonderful evening. Bobby, the following day was December 16th, and despite it being winter, the morning was unusually warm, with the sun frequently bursting through the clouds. Because it was a Thursday, Zeb decided to go to his regular place of employment in Maryville at Kawasaki Motors, with Bobby Joe staying at home to take care of the dogs. Bobby was sitting there in anticipation of Darlene Fisher's arrival. Nothing seemed out of the ordinary or peculiar to her at all. In the end, it was just a regular day. And then, sometime in the neighborhood of 2.30 in the afternoon, Bobby heard a knock at the door. Bobby Joe opened the door, but not to Darlene Fisher, as he had expected. Instead, he opened it to Lisa Montgomery. She was taken aback, but before she could even respond, Lisa pushed her way through the door. Because, as it turns out, Lisa was really Darlene all along. To discover where Bobby resided, she posed as someone else and assumed a false identity. As she entered the house, she overpowered the woman, who was eight months pregnant, and pushed her way in. The situation quickly becomes more dangerous. She reached into the back of her pocket and drew out some string before beginning to strangle Bobby Joe. As Bobby struggled more and more, she wrapped the string tighter and tighter around his neck. As Bobby continued to struggle and hobble, the seconds grew into minutes. Lisa maintained her stranglehold until she noticed movement. No more. However, Lisa was not necessarily there during Bobby's whole existence. Not at all. Rather, she was there for her child. Lisa used a kitchen knife to turn Bobby into a womb by pushing him onto her back and then slicing into her abdomen with the knife. Bobby, however, regained consciousness when he was in the process of cutting her tummy open. Just give this some thought for a moment. When she came to, she saw another person cutting her kid out of her with a knife. She had been unconscious for some time. She was too frail to put up much of a struggle. And after the initial incision had been made, Lisa helped deliver the baby by pulling it out of her. Womb turned her around as she was being covered in a blanket. Around and walked away, which ultimately led to Bobby Joe's death. After an hour had gone by, Bobby's mother, Becky Harper, had arrived in town and was waiting for her son at the neighborhood garage. Because her truck required maintenance, the appointment for it was set for 3 o'clock in the afternoon. For use on that particular day. However, she hadn't heard from Bobby since their previous conversation on the phone. She chuckled to herself that how peculiar that was.
she decided to walk to Bobby's house. And when she arrived there and opened the door, she found herself in the most terrifying scenario imaginable. When she arrived there, she saw Bobby Joe unconscious and lying in a pool of her own blood. She was unresponsive, and her fists were clenched, with strands of her long blonde hair caught in the hold of her hands. Becky let out a shriek, and then she ran to the phone to call Doll. Later, the operators at 911 verified that Becky had described the situation as her pregnant daughter's tummy having erupted and that there was no trace of a newborn anywhere. However, there was no indication of an infant anywhere. Unfortunately, even though emergency medical services arrived almost instantly, they were unable to bring Bobby Joe back to life. At 4.27 in the afternoon, the medical examiner pronounced her dead. However, it was determined that it was possible for the baby to still be alive, given that Bobby Joe was already eight months pregnant at the time of the traumatic birth. However, it was possible for the baby to be in extreme discomfort as a result of the birth. Now that it was known that not only a murderer but also a kidnapped child were on the run, the search for Bobby's assailant could begin in earnest. The authorities quickly began their investigation by going home to houses in the immediate area and knocking on people's doors to inquire as to whether or not they had witnessed anything odd on that particular day. At approximately 2.30 in the afternoon, one of the locals reported seeing an old red automobile parked in front of Bobby's house. This particular neighbor stated that they had never seen this particular car before. An Ember Alert was issued for the child who had gone missing. However, filling out a profile for her was difficult because no one knew what she looked like. The news of Bobby's passing spread like wildfire across the community. The news of Bobby's horrible death spread around the nation and sent shock waves through the communities that were directly affected. She became renowned as the Womb Raider, despite the fact that the identity of the murderer was unknown. It's hard for me to say what I think of the name. In addition, members of the Ratachatter community found out about the event. In fact, they devoted their whole conversation to the assassination of Bobby Joe. One of the moderators, who goes by the name Sitcar, was searching through the most recent couple of days' worth of postings in an effort to find any hints that may be relevant to the inquiry. And there she discovered the communication that had been going on between Bobby Joe and Darlene Fisher, in which they had also discussed their intentions to get together the next day. She made the connection between the events right away and informed the FBI about her finding. FBI computer forensic investigators were able to trace the origin of Darlene Fisher's emails to a telephone line in the house of Kevin Montgomery and Lisa Montgomery Montgomery, located on South Adams Road in Melbourne, Kansas. Kevin Montgomery is the husband of Lisa Montgomery. At the Whistle Stop Cafe in Melbourne, on the 17th of December, Lisa and Kevin were ecstatically showing off the newest member of their family, Abigail, and they were quite proud of her. Lisa recounted to her friends that the day before she gave birth, she was out shopping at a small store when she went into labor there. 
she said that she was transported to the women's center in the Pika, where she subsequently gave birth to a daughter. Her story was that the center was run by a man. After that, she gave Kevin a call to let him know the news, and he was ecstatic to hear it, as one would expect. He rushed into the truck as quickly as he could and grabbed her as soon as he could. But of course, that was a load of nonsense. While the Montgomery family was sipping their coffee at the Whistle Stop Cafe, FBI agents were sitting outside their farmhouse in Melbourne, waiting for them to return. During this time, the Montgomerys were unaware that the agents were there. A few hours had passed, but soon a filthy red Toyota Corolla arrived at the property, and Lisa and Kevin emerged from the vehicle carrying the newborn infant. After completing their task, the agents approached the two individuals and then followed them inside to interview them. When questioned about the baby, Lisa relayed the identical account to these people that she had previously told her other friends. However, she was quite easy to outsmart and catch red-handed. Agents revealed to Lisa that they had previously spoken to staff members at the Women's Center, where they were told that there were no records of Lisa being there on that day at the center. Lisa fell apart in a matter of seconds. Kevin was taken aback when she admitted responsibility for the atrocities she had committed. He was totally under the impression that the child was his. It was a mystery to him. After being taken into custody, Lisa was charged with the federal crime of abduction, which resulted in the victim's death. Kevin was exonerated of any ties or allegations that may have existed. In his testimony, Carl Bowman stated that it was impossible for his ex-wife Lisa to have been pregnant. After the delivery of their fourth child, she had surgery called tubal litigation, which was performed in the same year, 1990. Despite this, Lisa would continue to pretend to be pregnant a total of five more times after her operation. During the period that she was married to Kevin, she told him on three separate occasions that she was pregnant, and each time he believed her. Her current husband, Kevin, testified about this in court. The third time around was different from the prior two times, which both resulted in the loss of the pregnancy or an abortion. And then he saw Lisa holding the infant in her arms. He was under the impression that it belonged to both him and her. In an effort to escape being sentenced to death, Lisa Montgomery's defense counsel, Fred Dick Hart, argued that she was insane, despite the fact that she had entered a not guilty plea to the accusations against her. It was his contention that the defendant had been affected by mental illness for the entirety of her life as a direct result of the emotional, physical, and sexual abuse that she had undergone at the hands of both her biological mother and her stepfather when she was a kid. However, this was not successful since, on October 22, 2007, only after five hours of discussion, the jury decided that Lisa Montgomery was guilty of murder on October 26. This verdict was announced on the 22nd day of October. In addition, the jury advocated for the death penalty, which was a recommendation that the court formally adopted.
and it is here that we get a better understanding of the real Lisa Montgomery, as it was only after the trial that further information about her past was revealed. It was discovered that Lisa, along with her sister, had been sold into prostitution by their mother when Lisa was still a toddler. And despite the fact that Lisa's elder sister died and noted on her younger sister, social services removed Lisa from her home when she was only four years old and placed her in the care of a foster family. This occurred when Lisa was eight years old. However, Social Security did not remove Lisa, which meant that she was now left all by herself to cope with the abuse. Lisa had no choice but to put up with it. Additionally, Lisa was the subject of her stepfather's violent actions against the family. He sexually attacked her on a regular basis and frequently banned her head on the pavement. On a few occasions, he did this with such force that she suffered traumatic brain damage to her skull. Lisa's descent into alcoholism began when she was just 14 years old as a means of coping with the living nightmare that she was experiencing, but it didn't end there. Lisa's mother insisted that she get married to her stepbrother, Carl Bowman, when she was just 17 years old. In addition to this, he would go on to sexually and physically assault Lisa on a regular basis. The couple ultimately produced four children, despite the fact that they were forced to live in extreme poverty and were frequently contacted by and visited by social services. Abuse was perpetrated on Lisa by those who were meant to protect her, and there is no other word to adequately describe what happened. Additionally, she was afflicted with fetal alcohol syndrome due to the fact that her mother was an excessive drinker throughout the time that she was carrying Lisa. Despite this, the majority of the abuse that Lisa had been subjected to was not brought to the attention of the jurors during her trial. The majority of this information was not revealed until her appeal, which was filed after the verdict. When it came to defending Lisa at her trial, this was actually regarded to be the defense attorney's biggest mistake. Since 2007, the Lisa Montgomery has remained incarcerated in a death row facility. In fact, the United States had stopped carrying out federal executions of prisoners not long before she was given her sentence. However, in the closing days of his presidency in 2020, President Trump reversed the moratorium on federal executions and issued a special warrant for the execution of many death row convicts. This marked the end of Trump's time in office. Lisa Montgomery would be considered to be one of them. This resulted in controversy about Lisa's case, not only because her abuse was not taken into consideration during her trial but also because the world as a whole has gained a great deal of knowledge regarding mental health in the years after her conviction. This, however, did not affect anything since on January 14, at 131 hours in the morning, it was announced that Lisa Montgomery had passed away at the federal prison complex in Terre Haute, Indiana, as a result of being executed by lethal injection. This is the situation that Bobby Joe Stinnett and Lisa Montgomery find themselves in. 
a particularly heinous murder, which also had a convoluted resolution for the person who committed it. It can only be described as a miracle that the newborn made it. The current age of Victorious Tanette is 16, and she continues to reside with her father, Zeb. Although not in Skidmore, their previous home is still standing and has been renovated, although it has been abandoned ever since Bobby was killed. It seems inconceivable that Lisa would treat Bobby in such a manner. In fact, I would rank it among the most heinous killings I've ever heard of. Someone who is capable of killing in such a manner should never be let back into society again. No doubt. But should he have been put to death for it? Keeping in mind the trauma she suffered as a child and the mental state it caused, do you believe she deserved the death penalty more than other types of murderers who are fully cognitive? I'm not going to pass judgment on this, but what are your thoughts? What is your opinion on whether she deserved the death penalty for her crime or not? I am interested in hearing different perspectives, so please share your thoughts in the comments section below. We appreciate you taking the time to listen to our case today. If you enjoyed it, please give us a thumbs up and consider subscribing to our channel for more content like this. Thank you again, and we look forward to seeing you in the next one. Take care of yourselves and each other. Goodbye.